This is Beth. And this is Jeff. And this is your Enneagram Coach, the podcast, where we're here to help you to understand yourself with astonishing clarity so that you can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. Today, we're going to continue our Home for the Holidays series by tackling some of the real issues that we're facing this year. Oh, that's right, sweetie. We're all familiar with all the varied feelings and emotions that we're all going through as it relates to going home. Sometimes we're excited, but we also anticipate there's going to be conflict or big issues to talk about. Uh, We may be experiencing dread, but it could be a great experience. Well, all of the emotions, we're going to help to clarify what's actually happening inside of you so that you can understand about what it means to go home. We want to dive a little deeper into those feelings and give you some tools to work through so that um, not only can you connect with your own heart, but connect with your family and maybe even your spouse and your own children in a deeper way than maybe you have in the past. Yeah, before we dive into our top Enneagram content for this particular episode, Bethy, I thought we'd talk a little bit about just our own experience of family and what that's been like over the years. I Beth and I've been married uh, 26 years now. Mm-hmm. What was I like going home? Wow. Well, we didn't. You just threw that right on my lap. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, uh, and you ask a nine. I feel like a deer in the headlights. Okay, let me think. Um, What were you like when you went home? Or what were you surprised about uh, in going home that, in in relating to me about going home? Well, the one thing um, that is always kind of forefront and paramount when going home to Dallas is everyone wants to see you. <laughs> I don't believe that's true, but I, well, Beth that's, has that's observed you. over the years that my dad loves to throw these big gatherings whenever I come home. And it's true. Whenever I went to the University of Kansas to play football, um, my mom said, you're going to marry a Kansas girl and never come home. And she was right. I'm, I remember asking Beth, like, hey, could we get married like in Oklahoma? And she's like, <laughs> no. hell no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but that to say, I like, do you notice that I'm a different person whenever I'm at home? Um, I would say probably the one thing that I do observe when you go home is two things. Either you're like super fun and you're wanting to do all the fun things or you're super chill like sit in the lazy boy and watch TV with the rest of the family and like, let's not do anything. Yeah. Well, I can remember early on, I very early on, we would spend time with best parents. I mean, we were still in college. We didn't have any money. So um, we'd go into Kansas city and they have inevitably take us out to dinner or whatever. And we'd spend time with them. But you know, there was, it, it was interesting being with Beth because it, whereas she was attuned to me, I, I found that whenever she was around her parents, that she was very attuned to them and their emotions, feelings, and thoughts. And, and at times those kind of things kind of rubbed against each other. You know, one of the interesting things that I can remember about going home is that um, early on in marriage, I was comfortable with having an argument with you in front of your parents. Mm. Yeah, no. <laughs> And yeah. and I don't know exactly how I would imagine it went through your parents to your brother, but I remember your brother asking you, like, is everything okay because Jeff and Beth fight so much? 
Well, yeah, because in my household, you don't fight. (laughs) No one ever fights. Yeah. There was never an argument. Right. Whatsoever. So I was like, what is this? And of course, being a nine, I was like, I didn't want that either. But you were much more authentic and real and, you know, that counterphobic six, like saying what needs to be said. Um, I've been so provocative with your appropriate parents. Yes. Like it's not healthy either. It, 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 it's not good at all. But not only is that provocativeness a part of me, but how else in recent years, because we've talked about this frequently, how, what do I act like whenever I'm around your parents now? Quiet. Very quiet. Very quiet. Very, um, I don't know if the word's disengaged. I'm not disassociated. That may be the word that you're looking for, but I am certainly disengaged. Yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah, you're not disassociated. You're just, you're disengaged. Yeah. And why don't you tell everyone, what what's your interpretation of what's I'm going- left alone. <laughs> to, I'm the left alone to figure what everyone's going to do. What are we going to eat? You know, are we all just going to sit around? Are we actually going to do something? And usually that's hard because... One, as a nine, I'm thinking through everyone's likes and preferences, which usually knocks out everyone else's likes and preferences. So it's like, well, I guess we won't do anything. Um, but then, you know, I think at times, you know, I just, I want to just kind of shut down because I can't think of a way to make everyone happy. Um, and I feel like I'm having to pull the weight because I know how to read my family, whether for the good or the not good. Um, and you don't, and sometimes I'll say like, well, Hey, this is what's going on. Or this is what I'm observing. And you're like, really? What? Are you sure? I'm like, yes, I know very well. Holy cow. It's like, she's reading tea leaves. <laughs> I mean, I, I have no idea what in the world she's talking about. And, and if I were honest, I would say some of it I think is real. And some of it also is interpreted potentially. Sure. sure don't, potentially. don't want to commit assume <laughs> make wrong assumptions. Um, but I mean, even like you can kind of hear in our conversation, like we're, we're talking honestly here about real examples of what it's like whenever we go home, even though we are well into our own mental health and into the Enneagram to be able to have vocabulary about this, but it still shows up. I, I know that for me and my experience in being with your family, now that we have uh, two kids, uh, now that we have two kids, we've had them for a while <laughs> I now. I was going to say they're like <laughs> adults now. strange term. <laughs> but <laughs> it's funny. I'm going to own them now, okay? I, I've tried to get rid of them for years, and now they're here. Um, oh, my gosh. But what I was going to say is um, I would say around your family, because the kids were always so excited mm-hmm. about being with them, and so they bring a lot of energy to the room. Mm-hmm. You're reading parents, and they're responding as well, and they're kind of uh, caretakers as well. Mm-hmm. And so they're responding to kids, and they're responding to you. And this nine part of my heart, you know, the six moves to nine. And um, I call that nine part of my heart, Phil. Um, But Phil just kind of comes online. And I just try not to bring any energy whatsoever, because I know that you're attuning to all these different things around you. And I just want to lower my energy level. Because if in the past, when I have gotten I call my seven wing El Macordo, but uh, because he's fun, gregarious, and just outgoing and adventuresome. But if he shows up, that makes you very uncomfortable because mm-hmm. then not only are you uncomfortable, but you're thinking about your parents and if, whether or not it's making them uncomfortable. 
Is that fair to say? Yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable if I think they're uncomfortable. (laughs) 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 I'm used to your El Macordo for the most part. I mean, definitely sometimes he goes way off, you know, line. Way off line. But for the most part, I think it's fun. But yeah, if it's like inappropriate or like, you know, way past their generational understanding, you know, it's like, oh, now I've... I'm I'm just thinking of all the ways I I need to help everyone have a good time or not feel awkward or weird or outside, you know, they don't understand what's going on. So I'm just And then even applies to the kids. Like you're managing oh, yeah. the kids to not this was earlier on, not now. We're not yeah. walking in with our young twenty somethings like here's what's gonna be appropriate when you go to Gammy and Papa's house. Right, right. <laughs> or like we would all be in the van and they're in the back like laughing, teasing, getting upset or what and I'm like, guys, you're never like this except for when my parents are in the car. Can you please stop? You know, and so yeah, I'm I as a nine, um, and I think everyone's this way, but as a nine, I'm hyper aware of all the dynamics. Very aware. And it's exhausting. Now, of course, over the years I've had to learn what does it look like to continue to be aware, because I think as a nine that's just a superpower I have that can go awry, but how can I use that superpower and not overtake me? Um, and I'll be honest, it's still a challenge. It's still a challenge. You know, we're coming up here, uh, for Christmas and my parents will be here and I'm really excited because, you know, I don't get to see them that much. They live in Kansas city. We're in Nashville and because of COVID, we just haven't seen them as much as we would have. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to it, but you know, there's, we're two totally different families. Actually now three or four different families. Our kids are living their own lives. We have our life. And then my parents, you know, they live their own type of life. And so how to navigate that in a healthy way so that I don't succumb to everybody's wishes and whims and feel the responsibility in caretaking. Um, I have, I'm already thinking and preparing and planning for what that might look like so that we all have a great time and we don't fall into some of those old habitual patterns. That's right. Well, we've talked a little bit about family of origin stuff uh, throughout the Your Enneagram Coach platform, but, you know, here's the reality is that, you know, our, our type plays a role in our family of origins. Mm-hmm. I mean, that my sixness, your nineness, uh, there's a way in which the family related to that. And there were ways that it manifests itself in our family of origin mm-hmm. that maybe have changed since adulthood. And what's interesting now, having older kids, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things, um, even our daughter, when we uh, were telling her that Gammy and Papa were coming in town, she uh, said to Beth, like, oh, I was really hoping that we'd be able to spend some time together. And plus, I know that you needed some rest. Mm-hmm. Well, she's commenting on you and who you become when you're around your parents. Even your kids will start to pick up on some of these changes. Mm -hmm. Well, inevitably that will lead to conflict between Mm -hmm. us about your family. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now it could potentially lead to conflict with it. Not that we're going to have conflict with our kids, but it could have or Mm -hmm. may have in the past. Especially if we're unaware of what's going on and we don't name it and talk it through for sure. Yeah, it can become, because we all think that we're doing our family justice you know like we're seeing it through the lens of how we grew up and most of the time when you go home you revert back to a lot of old patterns or at least the family wants you to you know they're used to you being a certain way and if you've grown they really don't understand those new dynamics and um, so we have to be also ready for that like that if we've grown in healthy ways um, 
you know, to recognize that there'll be the pull and the tension to revert back to some old um, negative patterns or unhealthy patterns. Um, but also the desire to stay healthy, but then also the family's desire to pull you in um, and, and to have clear communication of what that looks like, whether it's to the whole family or even maybe it's a spouse or a sibling that understands your growth and um, desires. So here's the good news about what we're going to be spending the rest of our time talking about is that we're going to get into the bedrock, really some of the main wiring of each of our Enneagram types here. So much of the conflict and conversations preparing for being with your family is all behavior and emotion management. You're just trying to survive and get through it, but you've never thought about where some of these all this energy starts to cr- happen in your body and in your heart that manifests itself in your behaviors, your fears, your emotions, all these different things. And what that's called is your interpreted childhood message. And it affects everything about how we relate to other people. Beth, why don't you tell us and define what this interpreted childhood message is? We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, from May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom? from your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening, but when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90-minute sessions, and there's eight of them. Plus, you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today. Yeah, well, and let me just back up for just a second because the interpreter child message is going to pop up because of the foundational understanding of your core motivations. Now, if you've listened to me, you've heard me talk about core motivations all the time because it's essential to understand your core motivations, your core fear, desire, weakness, and longing. And if you don't know what those are, please go to yourenagramcoach.com forward slash core motivations and download a free PDF. One, you want to look at your core motivations and really understand what is the driving force behind why you think, feel, and behave in particular ways but then it also will give you insight into the people in your family and why they do what they do. So the interpreted childhood message is basically a part of the Enneagram. So there's lots of different things that we could talk about the Enneagram. This is one part. And this is a painful message that you were either told directly or sensed indirectly when you were growing up. So please note that there's not always a particular event or something that happened that someone directly said this to you. Um, that may have happened, but a lot of times it's, you've just picked this up some, somewhere, somehow an event happened and you interpreted 
what was going on or said around you in a very particular way. So I'll give you an example for me as a type nine. My interpreted childhood message is it's not okay to assert yourself or make too much of yourself. So the story that I relate to that one um, goes all the way back to 1980. <laughs> the drama and intrigue. <laughs> Such an introduction to a story back. <laughs> I know. So 1980, I was five years old. So now you guys can like do all the math. Um, but yeah, so I was five years old. My dad was an allergist. And so back in the, the day, pharmaceutical reps would come to his office and not just give uh, drug samples, you know, medicine to give to patients. But back then they would give you trinkets and toys and pens, uh, pens all, all kinds sorts of stuff. stuff. So this one. I do remember going to your home and getting Zyrtec pens because they were like really cool looking pens and I would use them in college. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And they worked good. Um, and they were free. They were free. And we were right. poor. Um but yeah, so my dad from the pharmaceutical, you know, company gave him these little address books. They were blue. And I mean, I was actually searching on Google the other day to see if I couldn't find them. Oh, sure. And I couldn't. But anyway, they were blue and they fit in your shirt pocket. So they were pretty small, yeah. real thin. And the original iPhone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my dad still uses that. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, on the side, I think it said like 1980 and like this real 80s font. And then I think somewhere it had like the, the drug's name. But anyway, so real small, real thin, just paper. No one really wants this. Let's just be honest. But I was five years old and I thought, okay, I have 12 of these. What am I going to do with them? And then I had this brilliant idea that I was going to go from uh, house to house in the neighborhood and sell them for five cents. Because, of course, who doesn't want in address book, right? Especially this fancy one <laughs> for five cents. And so I have this brilliant idea. So I go to my neighbors across the street and I'm sure they, they gave me five cents and they kind of giggled. And, you know, I went to the next house and I'm thinking, and I did this like three times and I'm thinking, I am killing it. Like, look at me. I mean, I, I can't, <laughs> if Nate or Libby were to walk around selling something door to door at five years old, like that, even just that in itself is kind of crazy. But the fact that you're this entrepreneurial heart mm -hmm. that would take decades before it really shone, here you are living your best life, oh, selling these. Living Can you my imagine best life. the how many pieces of gum you could get? Oh, yeah. Five cents. Especially back then. So I did that like three times. And then my mom opened the door and she saw me. And she, I think she could kind of tell what I was doing. And she called me home and I came home. And, you know, of course, I'm thinking, yeah. I'm killing it, you know. I'm going to show her how awesome <laughs> I've been. And my mom was very kind, but she just said in her very sick, responsible, appropriate viewpoint of life is, Beth, we do not do that. That is inappropriate. You need to go back and give the money back to our neighbors. We don't sell things like that to our neighbors. See, as a counterphobic six, I would have affirmed it like that is amazing like you just you overcome so much fear and just went out there and did it well that's why I said like my mom my phobic mom's heart at the time you know is probably moving into that three space where she's thinking what are the neighbors going to think you know this girl going around selling really cheap address books that nobody wants were they calendars or address books no they're address books address books yeah. okay and 
you know, and, and so I'm sure she felt a little bit of embarrassment. Oh, yeah. Plus, you know, you don't really go around selling stuff in the neighborhood uh, unless it's like for fundraisers. So I mean, this is really good because what emotions were do you think you were feeling at the time? Maybe you remember, maybe you don't. But When she said that? Yeah. Oh, total shame. Total shame. Like, I just thought, how did I put myself out there and do something that brought possible shame or upset my mom or upset my family or did something wrong like I mean even at five years old like you have a sense that the family has an image that you are partly responsible for maintaining yeah and like I said my mom isn't a person who heaps on shame or gets really upset like she was just telling me her viewpoint she was this coaching is, you as a yeah. six parent on how to be a six yeah this is inappropriate you know this is not what we do and so you know from the interpreted childhood message for the nine is it's not okay to assert yourself or think much of yourself it that's all i heard even though she didn't say it she probably never meant it to land on my heart that way, that is how that is the record player that plays in the type nine's mind. So that is how I perceived it. And that's how I took it into myself. And then I lived that out. So I really, from that moment on, was like, I can't assert myself unless I get the okay from people. I want to make sure everyone's okay. No one's upset. I'm not going to create any kind of conflict or any waves and definitely don't make much of myself. Um, but again, it saddens me for lots of different reasons. But one thing that saddens me is, like, that's not what my mom was trying to instill in me. Like, that's not what the whole message was, but that's how I interpret it. And that's why it's important, the word interpreted childhood message. Other people will hear in other books, wounded childhood message. But that comes across as if someone purposely wounded you. Now, sometimes it is. Sometimes yes. these messages are directly that's told right. to people, and that is wounding. But like in my instance, it wasn't intended to wound. It was intended to teach tended to help, um, but I heard it, and it hurt me, and it and it changed the trajectory of how I saw life. So I think that's that's why I like to say tell people my stories, because it's not always a very specific direct point. So let me um, jump into all nine types so people can hear theirs, and really kind of just think through, like, was there a specific event that happened? Did someone directly say this to me in one uh, form or another? And, and one way to get to get to this place is, one, think of when you've experienced it recently, and then to start thinking about the emotions or the circumstances and see if that leads you to earlier and earlier memories mm -hmm. to where, you know, maybe over time, weeks, months, it may take you a year or so. So don't think that this is an immediate thing, but to find sort of its origin story, because the, even the same story at five years old, I, I have stories as well of when uh, as a type six, I felt like I, I've gotten myself in a situation mm -hmm. And when the reality is, is that I was a little kid and I had no choice to, but to be in that situation. But I developed a way of interpreting life that I can't trust myself. Mm -hmm. So just it, it takes time, but uncover that origin because then you start to realize as an adult, like, wait a minute, I, why did I bring that thought to the situation? Well, and we're still living it out today. That's right. We are. So like for me, you know, even though I started your Enneagram coach, it took me decades to get there to get over this message and it's still a message I have to wrestle with every day showing up you know making you know my viewpoints my presence heard um, knowing that God has given me a message to to deliver to people to help them 
it's a daily battle to go, no, I can't assert myself. And yeah, I don't want to make much of myself, but I do want to make much of what God has done in and through me for his glory. So it is a daily wrestling. This isn't like a one and done thing. So it is good to observe, like you said, how is it affecting you today? But then also look back. And when were those moments that you saw it popping up when you're a child? So as Beth is going through some of these, remember, this is really the at the core of all of the relational and emotional energy that comes uh, when you ex- when you're about to go be with family again, mm-hmm. or perhaps even in your existing family, where it reminds you a feeling, a body sensation, a conversation reminds you of something from the past. It's this message mm-hmm. that's coming online and that creates all the core motivations to start getting activated and all the behaviors that come with it. So, Bethy, why don't you go through all nine? Okay. Type ones, you either directly heard or thought you heard that it is not okay to be wrong or to make mistakes. Type twos, you either heard or thought you heard that it is not okay to have your own needs. Type threes, you either heard or thought you heard that it is not okay to have your own feelings and identity. Type fours, you heard or thought you heard that it is not okay to be too much and not enough. Type fives, you heard or thought you heard that it is not okay to be too comfortable in the world. Type sixes, you heard or thought you heard that it is not okay to trust or depend on yourself. Type sevens, you heard or thought you heard that it is not okay to depend on others for anything. Type eights, you either heard or thought you heard that it is not okay to trust or to be vulnerable with anyone. And type nines, You either heard or thought you heard that it is not okay to assert yourself or think too much of yourself. Man, so these are these are really profound insights into each of the nine types. And so realize that um, it takes time to come to rest and to recognize um, that this is a way, a principle that we've been seeing the world through for our entire lives. And so whenever you are having a conversation with your spouse, be sure to uh, adopt a posture of curiosity. You can't fix this. Um, And if you just storm through the front door and start trying to talk about it, there's going to be resistance because this is a very, very tender part of our lives. Why? Because we have, it, it is almost, it is like a lens that we have viewed life through our entire lives. And it's a lens that has limitations. Um, there's there's no way that this principle is not true. Um, we have lived this out. It's shaped decisions that we've made all throughout our lives. And so to untangle from that is going to take time and a lot of patience. But to be able to know and begin to have conversation that it's really not about this Christmas, but it's about a message that's in your spouse's or your friend's uh, or your heart that is leading you to these kinds of this kind of frenetic energy as it relates to uh, going home again. Yeah, and I think also we we want to recognize that this message is going to pop up from time to time, and definitely when you're not expecting it, and when it happens. The first thing I think a lot of the times our human flesh wants to do is to shame ourselves or condemn ourselves like, oh, why can't I get rid of this? Or why is it here again? Or haven't I gotten better at this? That is not going to help. It's it's really not going to help. I mean, that that was one of the phrases I walked away from my time with Dan Allender uh, was, you know, the, the way out of it 
it's through it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the old uh, going on a bear hunt book. You can't <laughs> go under it. You can't go around it. Oh, no, we got to go through it. Mm-hmm. And that's the reality of what it means to address this message. And so it, it may be worth your time to begin considering how are all of the thoughts that you have, the expectations that you have, the dynamics of what's happening uh, in your emotional life. Why are those coming up related to this message? And to be gentle with yourself, you know, to recognize that this is a, a thought pattern that's been there for a very long time. And to be gentle, be curious, um, and to bring the scripture, to bring the gospel to bear to our heart. Um, you know, Jesus comes to us with love and care and tenderness. And so we can be in the midst of these um, hard memories and it not overtake us. I mean, that man, you just saying that it brings to mind all of those scenes where Jesus is moving towards hurting women. Right. And he doesn't do so harshly. But he gets to these core beliefs about mm-hmm. something that they believe about themselves or about God. Mm-hmm. And this is a very special moment that you can have to spend some time reflecting because Jesus has already answered what your heart is longing to hear. Well, another important aspect to be aware of when it comes to being around your family members uh, is your type's blind spot path. Now, Beth's going to talk about this a little bit more and define it, but I found this, this is one of those things that as you, as I've seen you teach other people about, like it's a big aha moment for a lot of people. Very big. Because it, and this is one of those weird aspects of the mm-hmm. Enneagram that it feels like people have been recording you. Mm-hmm. And like, how did you know that? Because that's yes. that's very secret. Right. But w- what do you think it is that people are so surprised? Well, uh, I mean, it's a blind they spot. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they don't really realize how much it's a part of their story and how much it affects their their life. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It, so... Uh, understand this particularly as it relates to whether you're talking with a spouse or you're talking with a friend it is a blind spot it is a blind spot and so they they don't see it like there there is a way in which we uh, i don't know if it's uh, that we're not cognitive of it but we enter into a way of being Mm -hmm. and we don't even see that it's happening right but until someone else, like if you bring your boyfriend or girlfriend home, or mm-hmm. maybe you bring a friend over, and they're like, what? Who did? Who were you whenever yeah. we walked into the room? Well, the blind spot path actually mm-hmm. speaks to it. So, Beth, why don't you give us the definition of what is the blind spot path? Yeah. So, um, I took a course uh, with Russ Hudson from the Enneagram Institute um, on the lines and arrows, and he actually called this the security point. But um, for me, it got really confusing when I was training people because security point for some other teachers is the path of growth because you're secure. That's not what this meant. So we changed the terminology when you look at the lines and arrows. We talk about stress path. So usually people are very familiar with the stress path, you know, like for a nine, when you're under stress, you can take on some of the average, the unhealthy aspects of type six. And when you're growing, so the growth path is when you take on the healthy attributes of the type three. Most people that have looked into the Enneagram are very familiar with your stress path and your growth path. Well, there's two more paths. Now, 
they're still the same lines, but there's two more paths. So with the path that you normally go in growth, you can actually go down that path, take on the characteristics of the type that you're connected to in less healthy ways around your family. So for type nine, that means that you can become more like a type three? Yes, in the average to unhealthy ways around the home. And again, this is a blind spot path because you don't even realize that you're accessing this. And for the most part, it's like you don't even, like I would never do the less healthy type uh, three things in normal public, like just around everyday people or even like coworkers because... I mean, even the way that you... uh show uh, likenesses to three it's it's very private like you don't yeah. you're not a very boastful person but like there there's there are some very kind of I'm proud of myself comments that she'll make with the family with the family <laughs> yes yes exactly and so um and, and and one thing I want to say is that this isn't so much that your blind spot path means you're bad you're doing something wrong really actually it's a we need to go in the growth path, which is the healthy side of the same type, but that feels uncomfortable or weird sometimes. And this is kind of like, it's kind of coming out sideways. Um, and so we're trying to get our needs met, but in a way that's less healthy. And so we want to recognize that because it can alert us and wake us up to, well, what is it that I'm needing? And why am I trying to get it accomplished in this less healthy way? How can I change the trajectory in the path and do it from a more healthy perspective? So, Because it's the same type. So type three, I go towards type three when I'm actually um, growing, you know, just in everyday circumstances. Okay, so that's great. But at the family level, I need to also bring that, that level of health into the family life, but sometimes I don't because it feels so hard. So, so keep this in mind too. So I just as we went through the interpreted childhood message, realize that once that message has been activated, then that gets all the other core mm-hmm. motivations going. Mm-hmm. And this is a way of addressing the anxiety of having those mo- motivations and that message activated. Mm-hmm. And so again, we have to treat this with kindness. This isn't, oh, you're doing that again. That's your blind spot path. That's using the Enneagram as a sword. Mm-hmm. And and nor do we want to use it uh, to defend ourselves in our behavior, uh, our unhealthy behaviors. And so just remember to treat this with kindness. Mm-hmm. But Beth, and to illustrate this, why don't you tell us another story about how your blind spot path shows up? <laughs> oh, sure. Focus on me, yeah. <laughs> no. Okay. So as a type nine, like I said, my blind spot path is moving to type three, the admirable achiever. So again, normally... Um, I, like when I'm doing well and I'm healthy, I'm moving towards that high part of three. But as a nine, I normally around the everyday person would never want to promote myself, stand out, maybe look arrogant, show off. And I'm going to even struggle to know that my presence matters. Okay. So it's going to be hard for me to do this kind of self-promotion. Hey, everyone, look what I've done, all that kind of stuff. But Deep down, I do desire to hear that I have worth and value. And that, and that's a good longing, right? That's a good desire, in a sense, to know that we have worth and value. But instead of asking for what is needed, the affirmation and encouragement that I'm longing for, and asking it directly and assertively, I will inadvertently tell my family what I did well or what I've accomplished that day. 
So it might come out kind of bragging or boastful, like Jeff said, but I desire to really hear them acknowledge what I have done and for them to affirm me. I unknowingly believe that this will help me to feel that I have worth, since really deep down, I rarely affirm myself. And if I don't get the affirmation or the encouragement that I'm looking for in this inadvertent way, I will feel deflated and worthless. And when I'm on this blind spot path, moving to the less healthy attributes of three around my family, I care greatly and deeply about what others are thinking, especially in my family life. I want to impress them and I want to make them happy, but I want you guys to realize that I will almost never do these characteristics in front of people outside the family. In fact, I really dislike it when I see others showing off, bragging about what they've done, um, looking for attention. Those attributes are actually something that I really don't like to see in others. And so you can see why this attribute in myself is a blind spot for me, because it's something I actually feel um, adverse to, and yet I actually do at home. Mm -hmm. So not only is our interpreted childhood message impacting us when we're around family members, but we also can keep in mind that we have a blind spot path that's also coming out to bat. No wonder why we struggle so much whenever we're going to be around family for the holidays. So Beth, why don't you take us through each of the blind spots for each of the Enneagram types? All right. You guys buckled in, ready for this? All right. So when you're around your family, maybe a best friend, maybe. But when you're around your family and you're, these are the people you let your hair down, you kind of act, you know, in ways that you normally don't, this is what's sometimes going to happen. So type ones, your blind spot path takes you to type seven and causes you to demand that others meet your needs, criticisms, and desires. You avoid difficult emotions and will reframe negative situations to sound more positive. And you'll look for escape hatches or unhealthy indulgences to distract yourself from the pressures you face. Now remember, the blind spot path is the same direction you go in your growth path. And remember, you're doing these things because there's actually a healthier way of actually accomplishing what, you're, what you need, but this is coming out sideways. So you just, instead of shaming yourself and looking at yourself or what's happening, ask yourself curious questions of what is it that you really need and how can you obtain that in a healthier way? Type twos, your blind spot path takes you to type four. And it causes you to feel rejected because others are not listening or accepted, accepting your help. You feel that others do not understand how difficult it is to be constantly others focused. And you may daydream about becoming free of always needing to be helpful so that you can actually focus on your own self-care. Type three, your blind spot path takes you to type six and causes you to express your frustration and dread when anxiety arises. You struggle with more self-doubt and when blamed or accused of something, you can react strongly. You are more suspicious of others and might test loyalties. Type four, your blind spot path takes you to type one and causes you to focus on flaws and become more judgmental towards yourself, others, and even the world for not being perfect or the ideal way that you see it. You may voice your frustrations and visibly display your disappointment in your body language. You may be impatient and controlling when others are incorrect and not being their authentic selves. 
and type fives. For you, your blind spot path takes you to type eight and causes you to assert your boundaries forcefully and confront anyone who displeases you. You may interrupt conversations and question others' competence while asserting your knowledge with intellectual arrogance. You can become more secretive, fearing that others will betray you. Now, Jeff, here's yours, and we'll talk about yours here in a second. Type sixes. Your blind spot path takes you to type nine and causes you to deal with stress by shutting down. You can forget who you are because you've chosen peaceful loyalty over your own passions and desire. When you are overwhelmed, you may stubbornly resist your demands and express irritation when others interrupt or disturb your comfortable routines. How does that land on you? You mean what I thought was healthiness as I related to your family, <laughs> you're saying is my blind spot? Yeah, I definitely am. Well, I, I intentionally go to my blind spot, so it's a, it's actually a clear spot. It's a clear spot. I know I'm doing it now. <laughs> I mean, I, I really, I, and and that's why I, I, I call this part of my heart Phil, because he, he kind of fills up the longing, because I, I, I want to be available. And, you know, it's not like I'm an, I'm an absent father in the situation. I'll help to take care of the kids or or go wherever. I, I just don't know where my voice is permitted in the midst of all the other voices in the situation. And I, I don't want to get in trouble with you or do something that's going to frustrate your parents. And so, you know, I just kind of calmly, quietly, just kind of go inward, shut everything down, uh, which is interesting because I, I think that's the part of my heart that I would use as a place kicker whenever I'd go out onto the field mm-hmm. um, and kick in those kind of intense moments. And so it it's actually been a part of who I am, and it shows up in all kinds of various ways. But okay, let's let's just take this as an example. So moving to your growth path is for a type six to be more at rest, to to not have your mind so frenetic and thinking, you know, in multiple directions, to actually be calm, to be still, to be present. And and it's so interesting you say it that way because there is a significant difference when it's growth versus this blind spot path. Right. Because there have been times that I've said to Beth, like, I am I am no longer a six, I am now a nine. When you're in which category? When I'm in melancholy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, you are not a nine. You're not a nine. Trust me. It's still in there. <laughs> but yeah, you've had seasons like when COVID hit, um, there was a season where um, you couldn't find work. Uh, during those seasons when you were at home a lot and there wasn't much to do, you really kind of sunk into that type nine space. And yes. you really felt like you were a type nine. Does When you see me in that space... How do you feel? Well, there's part of me that's like, oh, awesome. Let's chill. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) She takes advantage of it. (laughs) And then there's another part of me that wants to shake you and wake you up. Yes. So it's both, right? Like there's, I'm, I'm partly getting what my type nine longs for, right? Um, and then the other part of me is like, but no, 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 I want Jeff. Like I married Jeff, like, you know, so it's a both and. Yeah, it, there's a lot of ambivalence um, mm-hmm. with with me. Yes. I think this is helpful for people to realize that we do want you to move towards that nine healthy space. We definitely want you to bring less frenetic energy. We want you to be more calm and 
uh, confident and assured and to go against the interpreted childhood message, which says don't trust yourself. We want you to trust yourself and we want you to move forward in that with confidence and ease. And, and if, if that happens around the family, then actually a lot of things happen. Like you usually come up with like great ideas and a go-to attitude. Um, so we don't just all sit around. Um, and so we want you to move towards that nine space, but in a healthy way. And I think that's what you ultimately want. It's just at times with our family, we don't know how to accomplish that. So we do these less healthy ways. All right, let's move on to type seven. Type sevens, your blind spot path takes you to type five and causes you to be fiercely independent, building up boundaries to protect yourself from others limiting your life. You may need to sort out your feelings by being alone and using your intellect. And you may grow tired of constantly feeling that you need to be the positive and fun one, that you just need some space to yourself. Type eights, your blind spot path will take you to type two and causes you to assume that all your motives are pure with no hidden agendas. You may believe you have to earn love and affirmation from others by helping them and that your needs and emotions will threaten your relationships. Or you may take offense when others don't help and care for you in the same way that you love and support them. Oh, and I am really excited about this. One. I know. I when I was writing it, I was like, "Oh man, this this is terrible." <laughs> <laughs> okay, so type nines. Your blind spot path takes you to type three. Notice it's your blind. It's not my blind spot <laughs> right, path. Exactly. So. Your blind spot takes you to type three and causes you to suppress your emotions and identity so that you can focus on achieving. When someone exposes your weakness and failures, you may feel shame and believe you are worthless. That never happens. <laughs> you Ever. May, you can people please and use flattery. What? To That's try- crazy. <laughs> I, can I read it? I can't even read it. He's try, chiming in. I'm activated, Beth. <laughs> okay. You can people please and use flattery and charm to maintain harmony and draw attention to your kindness <gasps> and generosity. Oh, oh no! <laughs> I, you know what, Bethy, you are so enlightened <laughs> that there's no blindness with you. Oh my gosh! When I was and, when I was putting this uh, together and reading it, I'm like, oh no, guys, it's just so true. Like. I mean, like right now we're putting together a presentation um, for a retreat that we're doing, and it's a lot of brand new material. And I definitely <laughs> get really frustrated. Like I want to suppress my emotions. I want to like push everything to a side and just stay dialed in and focused on getting content done. But then when I sh- like show you, particularly you, what I'm working on, if I don't get the affirmation I need, or if you have a negative comment or like, Hey, we need to do this instead. I will feel shame and believe that I'm like worthless to some degree, not like maybe completely, but like it really hits me hard. And this is so true. Like I, I go to this type three space with you a lot. Well, what I'm hoping for all of you that are listening is that you will start to recognize that you have a blind spot path. And for everyone who's like, where can I read this material? Where is this stuff? Well, a lot of teachers don't talk about it because it's kind of Enneagram 2.0. 
And so a lot of times we just talk about the stress path or the growth path because it's a little easier just to kind of go in those two directions than to dive deeper. So in our Enneagram collection, which is our nine Enneagram gift book journals from HarperCollins, um, in each of those, we talk about the blind spot path. Actually, we talk about all four paths. So there's one for each Enneagram type. And what's so cool about them is they're 21 day gift book journals. And every day is a topic and they're the same topic for every type. So there's general content for each of the types. And then there's type specific. So Jeff and I, if we were to go through our journal together, we would read about, let's say, the blind spot path. And it would talk about general stuff that's the same, but then it would get type specific. And then we could share our aha moments like, oh my gosh, this is so true. Kind of like we're doing here. Just think about that as you think about driving or whether or not your family's coming to your house or you're going to be traveling over the holidays. Go grab the journals off of Amazon, get them shipped as quick as possible so that you can actually have a redemptive, uh, renewing Mm -hmm. conversation with your spouse, with your sibling, with your friends, as you go to experience family again. These are actually opportunities that we all have to connect with one another. They don't have to be moments where we get into an argument about family dynamics Mm -hmm. when, you know, the conflict's not even between us. It's uh, about something that's happening between our relationship with our family. Yeah. And these books just bring so much clarity and the 21 there, I mean, you could do it in 21 days. You can do it in, you know, 21 just readings. They're really, really short on each topic. And so you can do it faster. You could do it slower. Um, but it's so powerful to do it with someone else and it doesn't have to be someone of the same type. But use this to bring clarity and understanding, and it's from a gospel-centered perspective. So the whole point is to help you to see how God has created you to reflect him, and then how we understand when we get off course, how we get misaligned, but how to get back into alignment. So the Enneagram collection at Amazon, uh, Books a Million, you name it, Barnes & Noble, uh, get yours. They're great stocking stuffers, too. Well, we hope this episode's helped you to understand yourself as well as your role and the dynamics around your family. We hope that it's going to help you and the relationships that you have to extend more compassion, empathy, and love for one another. And we hope that during this season where we're going to be around family a lot, that you'll be find more joy and hope than you've ever experienced before. And remember that the Enneagram reveals your need for Jesus, not your need to work harder. It's the gospel only that transforms us. Thank you.